Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and happy Tuesday morning here on this 8th of June. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today, for the rest of this week, and next week as Carmen Burge is off. This might be the longest vacation she's had, Paul Perot, since I, she started in this host role, I'm is it not? I'm very certain it is. Yeah. Two whole weeks. Good for her. It's Some a, vacation, though, she's doing a fitness camp. A fitness camp. Leave, leave it to Carmen to... To ruin a vacation! I mean, <laughs> she has so much bandwidth to do so many of these different things. I there love that go. she's doing a fitness camp uh, during this time. And Paul, when I was driving in this morning, my car thermometer, I understand we're in Minneapolis-St. Paul here, my car thermometer said 80 one degrees. And I get it that our, our listening friends in the southern and, and maybe the southwestern United States, for 81 degrees would be a little bit chilly in the morning. It's time for hat, scarf, mittens, all of that. But for, for us in the north, the, I, it was Wicked Witch of the West time. I, w- I was melting <laughs> on the way in. I do not I mean, do not handle the heat well. This is an amazing yeah. heat wave up in this neck of the woods. It is. As a matter of fact, I, I, you brought it up. I was looking at a website that was explaining some of these early summer heat waves in Minnesota. Yeah. Um. Okay, the longest stretch of days above 90 in the Twin Cities previous, you know, for anything before uh, June 15th was six days. We're meeting that today because we've been above 90 degrees since last Friday, and uh, we'll probably go for seven days. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's it could have be been a quite a run. Yeah, quite a run here. It's also a National Friendship Day. We love our national days around best here. Friend day. national... Be- I'm sorry, Best Friend Day. Yes. Thank you. So we'll talk a little bit about our best friends throughout the morning. We can actually tie this into the biblical witness a little bit. It's it's uh, There's so many different words for love mm-hmm. in the Bible. Probably some of our listeners are familiar with the word agape, which is this idea of a self-sacrificing love, a giving up for the sake of others other kind of love. But the Bible extols the virtues of what's called filial love as well, which is a friendship love. It is, it is the love that is manifested among the people of God together, right? Where, where mm-hmm. you actually have a tenderhearted affection for another person, where you want to walk out life with them, where you trust one another. And that really can shine and bear witness in the world to have the kind of friendship that's not necessarily conditional. You're going to walk it out for a lifetime. Exactly. I don't know more. To, I can tell you about that. You just said it. Yeah, well, it's very, <laughs> if you, maybe to celebrate National Best Friend today, I do love the book of Ruth. There's this incredible mm-hmm. story where uh, Naomi has now lost her sons and her husband and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, are left with Naomi. And Naomi is in this land of Moab. And she says, you know what? I'm going to head back to Israel. I'm going back uh, to to my homeland. And why don't you two young women stay here? And Orpah says, I will stay here in the land of Moab. But Ruth then manifests this sort of filial love that also is a hesed love, to use the, the Hebrew word for it, where she says, where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And it's this incredible statement that Ruth then makes in her Hesed filial love mm-hmm. of her mother-in-law, Naomi, to stay with her for a lifetime. And, and I think it would be a really helpful thing to read the book of Ruth today in celebration of National Friendship Day. We live in so many different conditional relationships in our jobs, uh, sometimes in our churches, sometimes in our, our family relationships. And so to be in the kind of friendship that's like, here's the deal. 
I'm with you for a lifetime. As Ruth said to Naomi, it's not going to be easy to have friends, but we're going to do this for a lifetime. We can celebrate that today as part of National Friendship Day. And up next, we've got Nick Pitts, who is also a friend of the program. He's on every two weeks. And I think Nick is going to like this song. I mean, leave it to you, Paul. To, to have yet another just spot on musical choice. As in just a minute, we're going to welcome Nick Pitts into the program. Nick and I are going to talk a little bit about Pride Month, as well as a Texas valedictorian who went off script. Welcome again to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for the day. Nick, I get so conflicted when I hear country music like that. I, 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 I think that I don't like country music, and then I hear it, and it can't do anything other than make me happy. What is it about country music that does that to me, Nick? Because it kind of overrides my musical judgment. Oh, it is a siren song of a, <laughs> uh, of a world where all things are right. In the biblical narrative, it's the, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. It reminds us of the <laughs> promised land. It's luring us back into this, out of this broken world. That, that is maybe the best theological explanation I've ever heard <laughs> of country music. Well, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. You're part of the Institute of Global Engagement and do such a great job here every uh, couple of weeks with Carmen, working through some of the headlines. And the first one was pretty interesting. Leave it to us in 2021, where a chicken sandwich war is going to go political as Chick-fil-A and Burger King and the intersection of Pride Month and all of that. Tell us what's happening here, Nick. Yeah, so kind of it's the take two of the chicken sandwich war. Uh, Listeners will remember from last year, Popeye's came for the king, Chick-fil-A, with their sandwich. And there was a major run on Popeye sandwiches, um, really when they decided that they were going to battle against Chick-fil-A in this public relations war. And so now we have take two, which Burger King, which re- recently launched their chicken king uh, king sandwich, um, <laughs> tweeted that it's going to donate 40 cents for every chicken sandwich sold in June, which is Pride Month, up to $250,000 or 625,000 sandwiches the human rights campaign. Uh, Burger King spokesman said this is an opportunity for them to take action and shine a light on an important uh, conversation that is happening. Obviously, this is um, this is kind of in accord over the past week with um, news that has come out that Chick-fil-A uh, CEO Dan Cathy, um, the Daily Beast, had a, a piece up that talked about how he was a donor to a national, national Christian charitable foundation. Foundation, which had a history of opposing the Equality Act that has made its way uh, through the House right now. And um, so yet again, we find ourselves in the midst of a culture war and um, the refreshments in this war are part of the war now, too. Nick, I will be stunned if Burger King sells 600,000 chicken sandwiches. I might be wrong, but I, I just that that's not the first thing that comes into my mind is that when it comes to Burger King is chicken sandwich time. But it is it, it is quite the um, move by them to support the LGBTQ rights in the Pride Month. And that is different than Chick-fil-A, which, quite frankly, every time it seems like I drive by Chick-fil-A, there are cars that are two lanes wide and 20 cars deep. And uh, and there seems to be a real support for that. Is there... 
something that believers can do in the midst of this? I mean, do you just go to Chick-fil-A and, and continue to support what is happening? I, I have always loved the practice that they don't serve on the Sabbath. Uh, what would you suggest in this regard? Yeah, you bring up two points I want, I want to highlight really quickly before we move on to the kind of the practical point. The two points is one, Chick-fil-A is just absolute. I mean, it's just, just astounding the success that they've had. And then two, to see their philanthropic efforts and their charitable heart with that. So first, their success. So let's put it into context. Burger King has approximately 18,838 locations. Estimated sales are about $22 billion. Chick-fil-A has approximately 2,500 locations. So 18,000 to Burger King, 2,500 to Chick-fil-A. Yeah, about 11, 12%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they brought in 12.7 billion in sales, even being closed one extra day. That's amazing. Even to close on site. So just absolutely, like when you compare them, it's just, it's amazing what they're able to do with such a small number of locations as compared to Burger King. And then the second piece is, yeah, their uh, Burger King is, again, uh, they're making, a, it's a sizable donation, $250,000 to the Human Rights Campaign. If uh, Burger King, um, uh, those that enjoy Burger King go and buy 650,000 sandwiches. But consider this, in 2018, Chick-fil-A alone awarded $14.6 million in scholarships nationwide. Like they, 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 they've given over, uh, they gave over $3 million um, uh, in charitable work and charitable to charitable foundations in 2018, the, the latest numbers that I could find. And, and that's, that's not them trying to compete against any other um, entity or organization. That's just, who they are. They're not trying to gin it up and be public, get public support for it. There's just a charitable piece to them. That's just a part of their ethos that they have at Chick-fil-A. And so I, from a practical standpoint, recognizing the small, how small they are, but how large their impact is in the market, recognizing their charitable heart. And then finally realizing it's just a dang good sandwich, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the waffle fries is just a, a sweetness on top of it. And don't even get me started, especially with the heat that we're experiencing with their dream shakes. But, you, you know, you just I just want to support good businesses that align with my particular values. And, and that, again, they're not they're not trying to make they weren't trying to stoke this culture war. They're just continuing to do what God has called them to do, which is pursue after excellence and not forsake faithfulness. And that's what they're doing. And I want to support businesses like that. Nick, how can you not mention the Chick-fil-A sauce? How could you oh. not mention that? <laughs> ah, because I, I would be afraid that I would I, I would just crumble into uh, without words and then just start moaning uh, because I just miss it so much. You guys are going to make me want to go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I'm just going to say we need right. you for the second half of this interview, Nick. So, so hang with us yeah. for, for a little bit. But, yeah. you know, I was a Chick-fil-A skeptic, I have to admit, for quite some time. Anytime the herd starts running one direction, I just tend to oh, run yeah. the opposite direction. But then... But then, Nick, I had that first chicken sandwich, and even that little pickle thing on the bottom—just the just the one little subtlety of the pickle and the crunch at the end—I I became a convert. But to your point, I think uh, people really hunger for for authenticity, and especially in a time when there's a lot of cynicism and skepticism going on around uh, some of the church leadership, even. But I think people can sniff it out because for most businesses to support some sort of cause is usually an economic equation. They figure out how, how are they going to make the most money. It isn't necessarily an authentic support. They, they figure out behind the scenes who they want to support to draw in the most money. And Chick-fil-A just simply is who they are. And 
And I think that is an invitation for all of us, right, to continue to be the kind of people where we just are who we are. Let your yes be yes, as Jesus says. Let your no be no. You don't need to swear an oath and try to convince people and unduly persuade them. Simply just walk out life being who you are. Oh, completely agree. And, and you know, they, and they do it with excellence, too. I, I, you know, so many times there's always there can be sometimes a false dichotomy for some organizations and some businesses where they want to be faithful. They want to continue to have their Christian witness. But sometimes the excellence component isn't there because they're relying pretty heavily on the faithfulness. And that's great. Like, and don't get me wrong. I, I think it's very admirable to continue to uh, herald a Christian witness. But I think because of our Christian witness, I think it's in, increasingly important that we pursue after that excellence. And that's what makes Chick-fil-A just this resounding success that they are, that they're, they're doing something for the Lord, but that's something that they're doing has done with such a keen mark of excellence that it is unmistakable to those that claim the name of the Lord and those that don't. And for those of us that do follow after Jesus, I want, we want to support those uh, th- those in the family. We want to support mm-hmm. those that are doing great work. And, and I think this is a very cool opportunity to be able to do just that. Yeah, I love it, Nick. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to change the topic a little bit into the uh, a Texas valedictorian who went off script in her speech in protest of the Texas abortion law. There's lots to talk about there. Hopefully you'll come back in a minute and a half or so, and you're not gone to Chick-fil-A when we return here in just a couple minutes on Mornings Without Carmen. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. With the people laugh and Oh, that would be a really bad choice on a number of levels, Nick. In terms of, uh, we do want to support Chick-fil-A, but seven times a day might be a little aggressive. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Let's not, let's not, let's not knock it till we try it. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Why don't you have a go at it for a week? 49 Chick-fil-A. Well, you can't do it on Sunday. So 42 uh, versions of Chick-fil-A and let us know <laughs> how it goes. Well, there's uh, clearly some headlines coming out of Texas of note where a young woman, uh, Paxton Smith was the valedictorian of her high school, and she had a school-approved speech, and she went entirely off script in which she decided that she was going to make a case uh, for the support of abortion rights because there's been, well, why don't we just start here? Tell us a little bit about the law that is being considered and passed in the state of Texas that would restrict abortion rights pretty substantially, and then we'll talk a little bit about what she said in her speech. Yeah, so Paxton Smith at Lake Highlands High School. So that I mean, that's literally uh, just right down the road here. I think I think we're even. I think where I live is even zoned for it. Um, hmm. uh, she was uh, to give a speech on social media, then changed it up and decided to speak on the a recent bill that was passed by Governor. A uh, recently signed or was to be signed by Governor Abbott, uh, restricting abortion rights, um, and really did it tamp down on everything from. Uh, uh, kind of anything past seven weeks and then some other areas as well was really going to um, tamp down on some of those rights. And uh, Paxton uh, Ms. Smith decided to take her time as valedictorian um, and her speech and begin to share how this is a, a war on her body. And there's a couple of comments that are a couple of quotes that I think are really pertinent um, to our conversation. She said, quote, I refuse to give up this platform when there's a war on my body and a war on my rights. She said that we cannot stay silent. She called the legislation a war on your rights of mothers, a war on the rights of your sisters, a war on the rights of your daughters. But I think a, a, the 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 line that, you know, that just, you know, there's always one of those lines in speeches that just kind of sends it straight to your heart. And the, the, here's the line. She said, quote, I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. 
And we have spent our entire lives working toward our future without our input, without our consent and control over that future has been stripped away from us, close quote. And that line, and we can be generous with the reading and have to read more into it, but just by saying it, she's essentially equating her happiness and her dreams uh, being tied to her ability to have an abortion. And that, that's just really sad to me, just really sad as to where we've come in the 90s from safe, legal and rare to that right there. My dreams being attached to my ability to have an abortion. And that's just a stinging indictment on where we are today. Yeah, Nick, I'm really glad you pulled out that quote. That is a stinging indictment is, is such an appropriate phrase for that. She went on to say uh, this phrase that I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. She doesn't have control of her body. And Nick, I just, this is one of the, those moments where we have to step back and say, but we do have choices over our body. And I understand, and, and I te- I've taught a sexuality class for so many years. I, I've been front line and front and center to, to the pain and the sorrow and the suffering young people are going through in their sexuality in substantial ways. But uh, in, in the midst of that, this, this is not, we're, we're talking about, the assumption that young people are going to engage in sexual relationships. Of course they are. It's just going to be a matter of whether you have contraceptives or not. And we need to maybe backpedal and say, we have control over if you, we could, we could decide to chart out a different way, right? That doesn't include uh, premarital, extramarital sexual encounters. And, and that would go a long ways towards uh, what we see as more a healthy relationship as opposed to embracing abortion rights as the, as the way forward. I just, we don't, there's not a pathway there in that. Yeah. And, you know, this has become such a a nationalized issue right now, when in reality, if we look over the past 10 years, the number of abortions in the U.S. has been going down precipitously. We're at a point right now that we we're having uh, fewer abortions than what we had when Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, I believe. Uh, According to the latest figures, there were approximately 862,000 abortions in the U.S. in 2017. In Texas, that number was 55,000. There's a 3% decline in the abortion rate in Texas between 2014 and 2017 from 9.8 to 9.4 abortions per 1,000 women. Paxton Smith says we cannot stay silent, but for those that are heeding the biblical admonition of Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, we know that we have we can't stay silent either because there's a voiceless um, that are, are and those those voices are being silenced in the womb uh, because of advocates like Paxton Smith. Yeah. And I think uh, what's interesting to know, too, is that generally speaking, and you talk about the, the rate of decline among abortion procedures and and maybe a hopeful or encouraging sign is generally speaking, my understanding is that young people's attitudes are changing towards abortion, especially uh, it's not necessarily for biblical reasons per se, but the, the science is beginning to catch up and, it, and it's pretty difficult to see life in the womb as early as we can now see it and continue to advocate for abortion on a number of levels. So that, that's maybe some of the encouraging signs with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, we know technology now as early as eight weeks gestation. It's been shown that the fetus will respond to touch. At 11 weeks, video depicts a child in the room recoiling from abortion instruments. And as early as 12 weeks, the research literature concludes that unborn babies can experience pain. We are seeing this at a very early age now. And in a world in which uh, a picture or it didn't happen mantra is flaunted on Facebook and social media outlets, um, the idea that we can see this child and, and see the child experiencing pain is no doubt having an influence and an impact on a younger generation. That's uh, the numbers indicator saying 
we're just we're not doing we're not going down this way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so helpful, Nick. I appreciate you joining us. I know that you are rushing off to Chick Fil A here this morning. If you wouldn't mind snapping a <laughs> yeah. selfie with you and your chicken sandwich, sending it into studio here, we can post it on the My Faith Radio page. Deal, deal. Love it. Have a great rest of the day, Nick. Thanks. Uh, see you. We'll take a short break here for some bottom of the hour news and come back and preview what's coming up next on Mornings Without Carmen. So we've been talking a little bit about National Best Friend Day today. And at the top of the hour, we talked uh, a bit, too, about some of the words for biblical love. You have the hesed love of God, which is the never forsaking love. You have the uh, agape love of God, which is the the self-sacrificing love. And you you have this filial love of God, which is this friendship kind of love. And I think, Paul, we are God's icons or God's images on earth. We Mm -hmm. are the ones who are meant to represent that love to one another. So we really can take National Friendship Day. In these ways, and, and manifest that our National Best Friend Day, and manifest some of this love where we really do have this tender-hearted affection for one another, and it moves towards each other. You know, I, you were talking about God and love, and I just thought about Jesus, where he he said, "You're not my servants." At one point, I'm try, I, I'm paraphrasing like crazy sure. here, but I call you friends. Right? Yeah. The fact that you know, here he is, the God of the universe, although veiled in human flesh, but God of the universe, and he's saying, "Hi, friend." It's a profound statement you referenced in the book of John where he says, I yes. haven't called you to be my sheep or to be my servants. I've called you to be my friend. Friends. Lift up your eyes, see what I see. Let's do this work together. That is an incredible invitation from the God of heaven. As we celebrate National Best Friend today, we'd love to hear from you in studio too. You can text in at 877-933-2484. Maybe a short anecdote about a friend in your life that has really represented for you that beautiful love of God. Up next, we're going to switch from some of the domestic headlines we are covering with Nick Pitts to some of the global headlines with Luke Moon and some pretty interesting things out of the nation of Israel and the transition of the government there. So stay with us. More to come on Mornings Without Carmen. Parenting teens is tough work, even when parents agree on how a child should be raised. But the job gets even harder when moms and dads can't seem to get on the same page. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Kids desperately need a cohesive and focused team approach from mom and dad. Now, this doesn't mean you have to change your personality. My wife and I parent differently. And our two styles combined provide a varied approach to our kids. What matters most is that my wife and I work together for the same purpose, and that's to raise healthy and mature kids. So, are you functioning as a team? Moms and dads will never see eye to eye on every issue, but working together and remaining on the same page will help your kids grow up. Learn how to get your team back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen this morning. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for today and the rest of the week, and delighted to be joined at this time by Luke Moon, who joins regularly to talk about some of the global issues that will be of interest to us as believers. Hi, Luke. Hey, how's it going? Well, good. And I specifically did not say good morning this morning because I know that for you, where you are, it is not morning. Tell us where you are right now. Uh, right now, I am in Tel Aviv. So I just got here. I was going to say, and, and, and Israel is safe to travel to right now from a COVID standpoint, unrest standpoint? Well, I'm about to find out. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've uh, just gone through all the arrival tests and 
And, uh, you know, they make you do a test before you leave and they make you do a test at the airport when you arrive. And then there's a blood test. So they're really uh, trying to make sure that nobody comes into this country with with COVID. I guess yesterday they were they had zero new cases of COVID in the entire country. The only four new cases were actually people arriving from somewhere else. So <laughs> I'm sure they're like, those guys, oh, <laughs> here we are. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good to hear because I know that they went through a, a pretty good bout of it not too long ago that the numbers are are down. But there are other things to talk about, certainly in your neck of the woods. And, and a pretty significant political change just took place here recently in Israel with Prime Minister Netanyahu being moved out of office. So I don't understand necessarily all the inner mechanics of Israeli politics, but this is a pretty big deal. And what are you seeing both in terms of why it happened and what the implications might be moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hugely significant change. I mean, Netanyahu is probably one of the best politicians, I mean, political strategists, I think, in the world. And he was he was finally defeated by a coalition of unlikely fellows. I mean, the, honestly, the closest I can come to an American equivalent would be almost like it would be if Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley uh, <laughs> got together to form a government. And that, that government it would include then also the Islamists and, you know, the the pot smoking party. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's such a motley crew of different parties. And yet they came together really out of a commitment. We're like, we're done with Netanyahu and we wanted we want to be the guys in power. It's a it's a party that includes both the right and the left. And uh, that's different. It's a new day. That is very interesting because it it couldn't have been motivated as much by political philosophy differences than than just as a matter of trying to move somebody out of office that's been there forever. If you have these unlikely bedfellows joining together, so there there had to be sort of a weariness of him in power there that caused this coalition to come together. Yeah, you're Lapid who had one of the larger parties. He agreed that if they live out their term, that he'll be prime minister in the second two years. And and his motivation was very much that, like, he just won BB out of office. And it, it also is an interesting coalition because it, it really was a removal of the, the kind of the religious ultra-Orthodox party. Those guys were part of Netanyahu's coalition, and there was a bunch of people who are now part of this government who wanted nothing to do with that group of people in the country either. And so it's it'll be a test for the future of Israel. What kind of and and the other factor is it's unclear about how evangelicals in you know Christian supporters of Israel will will fare in this. There's a sense of they're not antagonistic, but they're also not at where BB was in this regard. So that will be an interesting factor too. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about next actually is uh, for people, if they don't fully understand necessarily Israeli society and Jewish identity, to to be Jewish, it means that you belong both to a people or an ethnic group, but it also is about a religious expression. And and everybody would be Jewish from the ethnic group standpoint there, but there's going to be a pretty significant variance in religious expression all the way to even somebody who'd be secularized Jewish. Are are some of the parties that are coming into power more of the secularized Jewish mindset versus Netanyahu? Yeah, yeah actually that was that was one of the main groups that that was brought into power was the guy that represents a lot of the uh, Russian the Russian immigrants that came to the Israel in, in the in the nineties. That party uh, 
was uninterested in in being in a coalition with with Netanyahu because they were they were done with the religious Orthodox. So it it does matter that that this new coalition is in, is much more secular because even if you're a secular Jewish person in Israel right now, you have to actually leave the country to get married. People go to Cyprus mm. to get married because all, all weddings here are religious, whether it's Christian or Muslim or Jewish. They're, it's a religious wedding. So that kind of stuff might change as a result of this new new government that just got on board. Uh, are there implications then as well in terms of relationship with the Palestinian state and, and how that might go if it's a more secularized government and, and they're not maybe in some of these religious uh, clashes going forward? Or, or would things be pretty much the same as far as you see them? Well, they're hawkish in terms of, of like Hamas and, and those Palestinians on the West Bank and in Gaza. But the one of the main parties in this new government is an Arab-Israeli party. And uh, he's he's even known as as an Islamist. And so I think one of the things he has already gotten for his constituents is basically millions of dollars in in aid to their towns and villages. I think there will be a the Palestinian Arabs in Israel will be in a very different place than the Palestinians in that live under Hamas and in the West Bank. Luke, uh, one more question on this before we take a short break. And uh, just kind of what is the, the vibe in terms of is there tension in the air, given that there have been some rockets back and forth? There have been obviously some violence there and quite a bit of unrest. I know when I was there during uh, the precursors to the Gulf War, the news made it sound like, you know, you better get in the bunker and have your gas mask on at all times in Jerusalem. But we weren't experiencing that while we were there. Uh, do you, is there a sense of unrest? Is there is there a tension in the air or is things are things pretty normal at this point? No, things are very normal. We're back to the uh, to the old days of even when you know things flare up. We, I mean, this happens in the United States too. I mean, you know, there was a shooting in the Bronx, or you know, in in South DC there was a shooting or whatever. And you know, up up in North DC, it's it's people just live in life, mm. and that happens here as well. So it, it tends to get blown out of proportion because. Jerusalem is, uh, for all intents and purposes, the center of the earth. Everybody pays attention to this place. Uh, that's how people decide things. Mm. Chatting with Luke Moon this morning, uh, grateful for him and his willingness to check in from overseas in Israel at Ground Zero. Some pretty amazing political events that have taken shape and the change of government and power over there and some of the implications of that. Luke, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, let's change the conversation to some of the events uh, coming out of China, including the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre and how we as a world might be remembering, but they might not be remembering in China. So more to come here on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Luke Moon this morning in Providence Magazine, talking about some of the headlines globally that might be of interest to us as believers. And Luke, just before the break, I misspoke. It's actually the 32nd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. And it's pretty interesting as the world is remembering these events. And boy, I, I sure remember some of those images of the tank and the singular person sitting in front of the tank and had some friends that were pretty close by even at that time. And uh, amazing, it's 32 years ago. But if you're in China right now, 
there probably would not be a lot of evidence that something even happened 32 years ago. So kind of give us a sense of what life might be like there and, and why it's being suppressed and how things are being handled. As far as Google and, and pictures, images, there is no record at all that there was such a thing as the Tiananmen Square massacre. And the sad thing is, the, as far as I'm concerned, the, the big tech companies, the fact that they have decided that they will censor that information within, within China, they're complicit in this cover-up. And it's, it's tragic. I mean, the, we actually don't know how many people died uh, in the Tiananmen Square massacre. We don't know all the implications of it. But one thing we do know is that in the days that it, after it happened, the U.S. welcomed a lot of the refugees, a lot of the the freedom fighters that were a part of trying to, do, who were part of that uh, group of people that were committed to trying to open up China. And I would say that probably China was more open in the early 90s following the Tiananmen Square Massacre than perhaps it is today. There is just this, the way that China is using technology to control its population, to to set up these, like, you, you have a, a social score, if you will. I'm very concerned that the use of technology to control the population of China, it's it's being effective, and that's that's a real problem. Yeah, I, I think some listeners might hear that, Luke, and think, well, that's a bit of an overstatement, isn't it? But I think when you, uh, my business does business in China from time to time, and I, I'm usually amazed at what some of our partners over there say in terms of what they can and can't say. Uh, Facebook is not something that can be used or messages. There really is uh, a pretty significant totalitarian control of information flow. And and boy, if you can control the information, and we're even seeing parts of the fight over that in our country, right? Who controls what information through what platforms? That's really where the source of power is located. And, and it's a big deal in China. It is. And I, I mean, I, re- I was in China a couple of times. I, you know, I trained pastors and underground seminaries. I did evangelism all over China. And in those days, like I knew that, you know, the people, the guys in the, in the room in the dorm next to us were, let's just say they were, they were not tourists, right? <laughs> like I knew that like the calls going out were going to be bugged and we couldn't say things like that was what I expected. But now like with technology, I mean, honestly, there, there was a, Recently, where where H and M, the clothing manufacturer, you know, retailer, was critical of of cotton grown in the the region where the Uyghurs live, and you know, it's like slave produced cotton, and China literally basically pulled all of the. You couldn't find it if you were like in Shanghai and and Googled how do I get to H and M, like it wouldn't come up, right? Hmm. Like that's just one example. Imagine that multiplied thousand a million a billion times over and over and over again and that's what we have with china today and and it's it's sad because it's unclear they're certainly not going to get the pressure from you know american businesses and Mm. american big business the nba the major league baseball like they're not going to get the criticism and so where are the people to rise up and are there is there really anybody left who is willing to push it back against that authoritarianism 
I'm not I'm not sure, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think you're entirely spot on with what happened with H&M there. Although I will say, Luke, that you will get little sympathy for me for H&M because if I try to shop there, I think their largest male size for jeans is about 12 and for females about negative six. I've never been able to find clothes that fit an H&M. <laughs> yes, well, you know, if if you well if you're above thirty, I'm not sure you're the target audience. Just <laughs> that's that's probably true. I think the last time I tried on a shirt in that place, I thought, "Is that really how this was designed for my waistline?" Like it, it was, you know, I thought I was in some sort of crazy tight superhero outfit. I was certain that it was not for me any longer at this point. <laughs> so hey, there's uh, a little bit more to chat about out of China too. I, I'm not as familiar with this story, so maybe you can tell me and the listeners about it as well. I hear bits and pieces about some of the civil rights, human rights violations that happen in China. And one of them relates to the Uyghur population, which is primarily Muslim. Um, But lest we think that religious warfare is only in places where you are in sort of Israel, Jerusalem, that neck of the woods, or even sometimes in the States or other places, boy, it's sure a big deal in China right now. So tell us about that, too. No, I mean, there is there's real concern and it has been in China for for a long time from I mean, I'll, I'll go at it from two directions. One is like the Chinese government looks around the world and and this is a reality everywhere where a Muslim majority bumps into a Muslim minority or or a non-Muslim culture. There is there's conflict. And that happens in the Philippines and Thailand, here where I am in, in Israel right now. China looks around and goes, yeah, we don't want that here. And so their answer to it is is where they cross the line, I think, into genocide, almost like activities, or at least in the general direction of, of that, where they have uh, created, in a sense, concentration camps. They have forced labor. They're limiting the number, like severely uh, reducing pregnancies, forced abortions. It, it doesn't take much to, to read an article about Uyghurs and go, wow, like the, the fact that, that the world kind of turns a blind eye to that is it's significant. And and it really shows that the focus of much of the world is is on mammon, right, is on the mm-hmm. dollar. And, you know, for all we say about, you know, these these moments where we can remember the Holocaust against the Jews and we say like we say never again. And yet it, it's happening now. I mean, maybe it's not a, you know, an extermination with ovens and they're like that kind of thing. But the same kind of oppressive destruction of a national identity of people, a people made in the image of God. And and Mm. I think God values people in in nation. And I think that the Uyghurs are, in a sense, a nation. Right. And they come with gifts and callings of God. and, And yes, they're Muslim, but, you know, God's working among them, too, I'm sure. And there are, are great missionary endeavors, and I, I, I guarantee Uyghurs are coming to the Lord, which is awesome. Uh, the fact that our our dollars are, like I said before, the the NBA and the Major League Baseball and the movies. I mean, John Cena had to apologize for for calling Taiwan a country, heaven yeah. forbid. Like just that kind of so willing to kowtow to China in a moment's notice for the sake of a sale for the sake of, you know, your stuff marketed to a billion people. I mean, that's the motivation. Uh, The risk reward calculation is made that, you know what, we'll just turn a blind eye to what's happening to the Uyghurs because we want the money and bad things happen everywhere. I mean, that's the logic, but it, it shows to me like for all the, our, our claims that we're, we're so much better than our ancestors, right? Like to me, this is evidence of the myth, of, of progress and the depravity of man. Mm. We have no problem 
uh, turning a blind eye to serious uh, atrocity when there's money on the line or when there's opportunity. Yeah, so I do. I think that's spot on, Luke. Absolutely right. I think it's great. We uh, we got to leave it right there for now. We're just uh, running out of time. But so appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule here while you're traveling internationally to get us into these headlines. Incredibly helpful this morning. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, we'll take a short break and uh, come back and wrap up the first hour of the show. And preview is coming up in hour two here on Mornings Without Carmen. We have indeed been talking about National Best Friend Day today. It's been uh, fun to reflect on some of the friends that we might have in our lives. And I know that some of our best friends may shift over the course of the lifetime, but typically there are characteristics that we that, that our best friends share. And, and often it goes beyond just the idea of having an affinity together and, and maybe just enjoying each other's company. And certainly within God's kingdom, the way that we can, can shine a light just in the way that we are friends with one another, Paul, I think is so entirely helpful when we just talk about, you know, here's the deal. We actually don't have a choice to be the body of Christ, right? <laughs> no, I mean, Paul is very clear when yeah. he says that you are being baptized into one body. So this idea that we would church shop or this idea that we would look for friends like us and kind of, we have a, a relationship with God for mm-hmm. sure. But you know, all of you are sort of functionally optional around <laughs> me. That no. that doesn't work within God's kingdom. And so we really are invited into the filio kind of love of God that the Bible talks about, this friendship love that says, hey, I am for you in life. It doesn't mean I'm for all of what you're doing. It doesn't mean I am, I am for... Uh, everything that you might say or think or whatever, but here's the deal. I am for your wholeness mm-hmm. on every level, wholeness as defined by what is consistent with freedom in God's kingdom. And I think that's what we can celebrate today when we talk about best friends with one another is what does it mean to walk out this journey where I am so for you for the course of our lifetime. Boy, does our world need that kind of shining light, does yeah, it not? people who are there with you, pointing you to Christ, encouraging you, helping help. I like that whole idea of wholeness. Yes. Uh, that is so important. Now, actually, we're since we have a text line, and since it is National Best Friend Day, we're thinking, hey, why did you tell us about that friend who is wholly in for you, wholly in for your growth um, as a person in the kingdom of God? I, we'd love to hear about it. So text text your story. Tell us about your friend, 877-933-2484. And if Jessica Lolly is listening, who is one of <laughs> Carmen's best friends, uh, she I listens. mean, I'm stunned She's... that Carmen has a best friend. I want to hear from this Jessica. <laughs> I want I want tell us everything. We, we, need, tell, us we everything. need everything, Jessica. Yeah, no, indeed. If Jessica Lolly, if you are listening this morning, we would love to hear just stories of best friend, but all of your stories of having that best friend. What was it about that makes that person your best friend? Mm-hmm. Just anything along those lines. I think to lift one and, uh, uh, each other up this morning to encourage each other to think about what it means to walk out life and then even actually do something today for your best friend whoever that might be it can be a simple text it can be a a quick post on instagram it can be a phone call it can be whatever it is where we just shine again a bit of the light of friendship well very exciting second hour coming up here in just a couple of minutes we're going to start with dr jeff barrows and there's been some pretty interesting news about a new alzheimer's drug that has been approved by the fda and i'm going to ask him about that next as we start hour two here on the 8th of june i'm peter kapsner filling in for the day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.